1: Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now your host, Dan Burnham.
0: What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. This episode coming to you after a New York Jets victory away in Houston against the Texans. 21-14, the Jets win their first away game of the season. They go to 3-8 and on the year. And Zach Wilson's first game back after missing four, he doesn't look great, far from stellar. But the Jets are able to do enough with the rushing attack, good defensive play to pull out a win. Super exciting, even though it's the Texans, even though it wasn't... An incredible game from Zach Wilson. It still is fun to win. And believe it or not, the Jets were projected to lose this game. Houston was getting, I think, two and a half or three points coming in. I know that they were home, but for crying out loud, I projected the Jets to win. I thought maybe Zach Wilson would be able to win by 20 or so. But seven points, I'll take it. I'll take it every day of the week. So super happy to be talking about a Jets win. Zach Wilson back. See the offense. Tons of stuff to talk about in this one. We're going to do a quick game recap we're going to talk about that Zach Wilson performance, a little bit of Michael LaFleur's play calling. We're going to do our usual player performances, including that JFM monster game, some of the kicker troubles that we've been having. Then we're going to talk injuries, Jets draft nuggets, our usual what's on tap, and then the return of Father Time back this week. So tons of good stuff to get to. As always, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It's under the Gang Green Nation podcast. Series title is This Is The Jet Life. So without further ado... Let's get into it. Let's start talking about a game recap. What happened in this one? So the Texans get the ball first. They start strong, moving the ball downfield. They get into the red zone, but a huge pass deflection INT by John Franklin Myers, his first of the season. The Jets get the ball back. It's their first drive. They get down to the goal line, down to the five-yard line, where they're unable to punch it in, first and goal. That was unfortunate, but they get the field goal to make it a 3-0 to game. They play good defense, get the ball back. Wilson makes that kind of crazy shovel pass that was more of an unlucky play than anything in reality, and when you look at that specific play, Ty Johnson was kind of looking at him when he started doing it. It was a situation on a 3rd and 17 where maybe Johnson would have had a better chance of getting the first down than Zach Wilson, even though it probably wasn't going to be picked up regardless. You understand why Zach Wilson did it. It wasn't as boneheaded a play as it looked like at first glance. But after that, the Texans get the ball back. They score 1,400 unanswered points in that second quarter, Touchdown pass to Brevin Jordan, touchdown pass to Brandon Cooks. We had Rex Burkhead being a thorn on the side for that entire first half. And then before the half is over, the Jets put together a nice 70-yard touchdown drive capped off by that Austin Walter run, his first career touchdown. Very cool to see that. And then a nifty play call to see Josh Johnson under center rushing in for the two-point conversion. Kind of a cool play from LaFleur there. The, the half ends with a Kenny Yaboa blocked punt that Barrios probably should have picked up. Didn't. The Jets don't get any points out of it there, but it was still an exciting play, and now 11-14 at the half, the Jets have a little bit of momentum, you're feeling a little bit better about what's going on. The next half starts, the Jets drive, but Ryan Griffin drops a touchdown opportunity, so the Jets go to take a field goal, there's a leverage penalty on the Texans, Zach Wilson makes a nice play, a read, runs up, and uh, scores like a 3-yard rushing touchdown, his first rushing touchdown of his career. And on this specific play, Robert Saleh actually said that was not a designed quarterback keeper. It wasn't even a designed RPO. That was just a situation where Zach Wilson read the defense, saw the defensive linemen and the linebackers moving a certain direction, and decided to just tuck and run. He Saw an opening, and he made it work. So that was a great play by him. You'll have to see the confidence in reading a defense and saying, hey, I know what I can get right here, and then being able to execute it, to take the lead. New York Jets up here 18-14. to Score stayed that way for a while. Jets' defense was really stout. Matt Amendola missed a 42-yard field goal. His struggles continue. So later in the game, they just opt not to kick a 51-yarder. Then again, fourth and one late in the game with like four minutes to go, they opt not to kick a 32-yarder super short to make it a full seven-point game. They go for it on fourth and one. They get it on a nice sneaky little Elijah Moore run, another nice LaFleur call there. And then after being stopped a little bit later in the game clock there, they end up kicking that 37-yarder. Matt Amendola does make it. But tons of stuff in this one. Obviously, the offense was struggling. The defense made some really nice plays. Overall, the Jets beat what is a worse Houston Texans team. That's just the only way to put it. Jets did not play their best game, but they stifled a Texans team for most of it. I mean, they had a nice first drive. They did get those early 14 points in that second quarter. But after that, they didn't really do anything. I mean, 202 total yards of offense for the Texans. Jets not a ton better, but that's really what we've gotten from Zach Wilson so far this year. And the defense was able to outplay the Texans, got us a win, 3-8 and eight on the season, happy to see it. So, next order of business would be to talk about some injury news and updates from, from those guys. In this game, we had a Trevon Wesco injury. He was actually our doghouse player of the week last week, so losing him for two to four weeks to an ankle injury, not that big of a deal. Next man up, with Tyler Croft still out from that lung laceration, you'd be looking at a Nick Baden, the fullback who was playing some tight end. You'd be looking at a Kenny Yaboa and perhaps the just make another move on the practice squad or try to get another tight end up into the mix because, you know, they traded away Daniel Brown. You know that they usually were playing Tyler Croft as the starting guy, and now you lose Wesco. So you're really down three tight ends at this point for a team that likes to run two tight end sets somewhat frequently. I mean, as much as you don't love to see it, Trevon Wesco was on the field in this game because just having Ryan Griffin wasn't enough. So somebody is going to have to step up. I look forward to the opportunities for those guys. We also had some Kind of like dinged up play. Zach Wilson had that kind of knee funkiness. He had that PCL sprain that he was coming back from, and then he kind of looked a little like he tweaked it perhaps, but he ended up coming back. He's checked out to be okay. Uh, Michael Carter, the second on defense, he left for a little bit. He came back. He's okay. Same with Quincy Williams. They're all good. Those players did miss a little bit of time in the game, but they're all good. Corey Davis missed this game. He's considered day-to-day. Possibly will play on this upcoming Sunday against the Eagles. I think that's kind of a big deal because he is the Jets' best receiver. I know we're all getting on Elijah Moore, and Corey Davis hasn't been super hot recently. But that's really because Corey Davis was having a really, really great first half of the season all with Zach Wilson. It was by far Zach Wilson's favorite target. He was probably to a fault forcing it in there to Corey Davis. And now with Zach Wilson back, he didn't have his favorite target. Not a great game from Zach Wilson. I would imagine that having Corey Davis back in there would be a very, very nice addition for the offense. You also could potentially be getting Denzel Mims back. He missed a couple weeks from COVID, and then right now he's back to practicing. And basically, you know, I mean, this is just a virus that can do different things to you. He got probably sick, some symptoms. He's working his way back into getting back into football shape, I guess, from the illness. And uh, they said that he's practicing this week. Definitely a possible play on Sunday. The wide receiver room is getting kind of full, of course. We've got Keelan Cole, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis potentially coming back, Jamison Crowder, Braxton Barrios, Jeff Smith's been out there a decent amount. So there's only so much opportunity for Denzel Mims. It's not like he plugs back into a top three receiver role, but could you see him on the field where you'd see like a Jeff Smith in a few opportunities, perhaps make a couple of catches and try to boost his stock before this year is over. Absolutely. That's kind of what I'd be looking for from Denzel Mims. Then you got McKay is doing some field work, not like legitimate practicing, but he's on the field kind of starting to do some exercises and stretching. So it's a good sign. It's the first step, but he's still likely two, three weeks away I mean, even if he starts, say, practicing next week or the week after, it's still going to take a week or two of practicing to make sure he gets right back into football shape after his rehab. So hopefully go get Mekhi Becton back sooner than later. I'm not going to say I've been upset with George Fant playing left tackle. He's actually been very, very serviceable in that role. But gosh forbid something happened to Moses or George Fant. You wouldn't need another guy other than, you know, you don't want to put Connor McDermott in there if you don't have to. Plus, Makai Becton is the guy that we drafted 11th overall and looked like in his rookie year could potentially be a stud all-time future Hall of Fame left tackle for the Jets. We haven't seen much of him, and we need to get him back out there. And we're uh, potentially getting Joe Flacco back. I think that he passed his COVID protocol after missing this week. Mike White still not cleared, probably will not be good for Sunday. At the end of the day, it's Zach Wilson's team right now. We still have Josh Johnson. We still have Joe Flacco, who's cleared again. I mean, four QBs, we never expected it. Josh Johnson was a practice squad guy. Joe Flacco wasn't even on the roster. It was Mike White and Zach Wilson. At this point, tons has happened, and we got four quarterbacks now. All we need, healthy Zach Wilson, continue developing, continue progressing. And then I think it's worth noting that this is the first game the Jets played without Michael Carter. He was potentially going to miss two to four weeks with a low-grade high ankle sprain, and one of the weeks is out of the way. He is one of the Jets' best offensive players. He's one of those guys that you know you really want to get back. Zach Wilson's probably the most important. Obviously, we want Makai Becton. Elijah Moore would be a huge bummer. Michael Carter's the other one that, like, you just want to see Elijah Moore and Michael Carter on the field rock and rolling, boosting that draft stock from this year. And one game out of the way from him, just did it running the ball really, really well in this one with Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson, even Waston Walter. So good performance from those guys. But uh, Michael Carter on his way back a couple weeks. So let's talk about Zach Wilson's return in this one. The Jets had been averaging 436 offensive yards per game in his absence. The four games that he missed, Jets were putting up big numbers, right? That was number one in the entire NFL. This is his first game back, and he's going up against a Houston Texans team that definitely can be taken advantage of to some extent on the offensive side of the ball. We get 266 total yards. So definitely a big downgrade from what we've been seeing in those Josh Johnson, Joe Flacco, Mike White games. But the Jets do pull out a win, so you can't be too down on the performance. And he is coming back from an injury missing four weeks. A little bit rusty. Gotta get back in the rhythm. I don't even know if he was in a rhythm before he got injured. Now he's coming back after missing some time. I think that my expectation was that being on the bench, it was going to be kind of like when Sam Darnold missed time. He watched Josh McCown play, came back out, and had his best game. I think it was against the Cowboys. um, And that was in his first or second year. And he was like, just being on the bench, everything slowed down for me. I was hoping the exact same thing was going to happen with Zach Wilson. We knew that before he got injured, his biggest struggles were short passes, not taking the quick checkdowns to the reads, getting into his receivers' hands and letting them get yards after the catch and make plays by themselves, because we do have some playmakers on offense. He was trying to force stuff. He was throwing it into some bad coverage, trying to throw deep too much, relying on that deep ball. And when he came back in this game, he was still a little shaky. Some of those things were still issues. I mean, he finishes the game with 58% completion percentage, 145 passing yards, one interception on that shovel pass to Ty Johnson, it was more unlucky than really a bad thing. It, it was a bummer that it happened. It shouldn't have happened, but it was a little bit unlucky that Ty Johnson happened to turn right as he did that. Um, he did have the one rushing touchdown, but he was sacked four times, and his ending quarterback rating in this game was 58.5. So not a good game from Zach Wilson. The biggest issues in this one is he's still struggling with some of those same things. I don't think he forced the ball as much as he had been early on. He wasn't throwing into triple coverage, wasn't getting a lot of you know big turnover-worthy plays, although there were a few. But he wasn't doing a ton of really stupid mental mistakes. He just still can't hit on those short throws. And he looks like the game is moving really, really fast around him. Sometimes he's getting sacked, doesn't even see it coming. Or it's like, well, where these, you know, he's trying to turn around and change his footwork and there's a guy coming to hit him, not reading those things pre-snap. But then also just dropping back. I saw a lot of guys that were open in situations that you can't expect a quarterback to see every single read on the field. But if a guy's open really quick, it's because either you have the right play call for it. Or maybe a guy wasn't lined up correctly. And these are things that you want to identify pre-snap. You want to figure out if it's man or zone. Are these guys going to be open? there were a few opportunities where you saw him making one decision and you're like, wow, there was one, two guys that definitely could have picked up a ball right there. Definitely could have picked up the first down, maybe some extra yardage as well. So he's not reading the field extremely well. And then just missing those running back passes specifically uh, you know, trying to throw to uh, Tevin Coleman, Ty Johnson, or Austin Walter and just air mailing it or throwing short, not giving the re- the running back a real chance to get the ball upfield. That was stuff that Mike White and even Joe Flacco were doing much, much better. Zach Wilson also was a little sloppy on some of his throws across the middle when he threw to Elijah Moore or Keelan Cole. They bailed him out a few times on some sort of, you know, not ridiculous catches. You expect him to catch them. But, you know, they did make some nice grabs. You do get upset with, like, a Ryan Griffin dropping that one touchdown because that was definitely the best play of the day from Zach Wilson, rolling to his left, throwing it on the run into the back of the end zone, hitting a tight end right in the chest. I mean, this is a position in need. Tight end group is struggling right now and, you know, just got a little bit more banged up this week. If you ever thought you'd be upset to lose Trevon Wesco, it's like, oh, my gosh, here we go. But, you know, not a good game from Zach Wilson. There's no other way to cut it here. But when it comes down to when he wins the game, 21-14, 21 to 14 comes back from being down 11 points and you know gets the team in the W column this week winning an away game. It's just stuff that builds confidence. I think that's one of the things that he really needs is confidence out there. He needs the game to slow down, he needs to be comfortable in what he's doing, he needs to make better pre-snap reads, work on his accuracy, some of his mechanics and everything and just gain some confidence. And from this, you gain some confidence. You get some confidence from the team and everything. You get to go back and feel good about yourselves instead of having to deal with the media and everybody just shitting on you for an entire week and like, whoa. Because this is one of those performances. If the Jets lose this game, potentially not great conversation about the New York Jets right now. But they win it. He dodges it for a week. And now he can look to Philadelphia and say, all right, time to continue working on stuff. Keep getting better. We've gotten past the point where Zach Wilson's going to have some rookie of the year season. That's not happening. But can he start to get a little bit better and position himself for next year? Because realistically, the Jets just drafted him second overall. You can't draft him, play him for this one season and this new offense and everything, not like what you see and say, you know what, we're going to go a different direction. You have to be patient. You have to give him more time. So like it or not, he's going to be the quarterback a year from now at least. So he's going to be out there. That's kind of the year that we'd like to see some really big growth. He has some stuff he's got to work on in the offseason for sure. But can you continue to gain confidence, get some wins, do some nice things, get some chemistry with the guys that are going to be here long-term, you know, the Elijah Moores, the Michael Carters, Corey Davises, those would be big players to gain chemistry with. And just start to understand the game a little bit better at the NFL level, you know, not the BYU stuff that he was doing, but just doing his thing. And take the deep shots when you can see him. We didn't see a ton in this game. He didn't force it. I think the Texans kind of respected the fact that he can do that, which is part of the reason the run game is so successful in this because when Zach Wilson can throw a nice 50-yard pass, you're like, listen, the Jets' offense can't beat us too bad if they can't get those big plays. It's probably what the Texans are thinking in this game. They end up bringing some people back, two safeties deep a lot, and it helps the running game get up, get a nice push. The offensive line obviously was great. So Zach Wilson does bring some of that stuff that you don't see on, you know, the numbers and everything. Overall, at this point in time, I'm not too down on Zach Wilson because he is just a rookie. we got to be patient, and he won the game. You know, if he makes some big bonehead plays, looks like he's getting worse and is just making horrible mistakes, losing a game against a team like this, yeah, I could see us being really upset with it. But he didn't. He minimized them. They win the game. All right. And he picked up some, you know, some clutch plays at the back half of this thing. So that's kind of Zach Wilson's performance. Hate it, love it, one way or the other. You know, he's got to get better, for show. But they won 21-14, to so kind of cool. Talking about Mike LaFleur, he's the other big part of this offense right now, and he is getting better and better every single week. And honestly, if you look back at it, it's either Zach Wilson's injury when he started getting good, or you can talk about when he went up to the booth and started getting more comfortable. But either way, he's setting up this offense through the run right now in a very good way. The offensive line is getting more comfortable, more cohesive. They're in for 157 yards and two rushing touchdowns in this game. He's getting playmakers involved. Before Michael Carter went down, Michael Carter was getting the ball a lot, and he should because he's got crazy good elusiveness, crazy like break tackle rates and and juke rates. He's getting Elijah Moore the ball way more than he was early. Sometimes Zach Wilson can't hit Elijah Moore, but he's getting him the ball in the running game, or he's doing quick little shovel passes to him to get Elijah Moore the ball, getting guys like Berrios the ball, even though it didn't work every time. Berrios did break that big 46-yarder, and that's because LaFleur is finding ways to get the ball in the playmaker's hands. That's a big thing. We're seeing some designed runs to the receivers. We're seeing the outside runs in the rushing attack. We're seeing offensive linemen pulling, a lot of motion, pre-snap motion. Sometimes we hand it off, sometimes we don't. It's looking a lot more like that Kyle, Kyle Shanahan-style offense that we were expecting going in. That is supposed to be predicated on a run game. Finally, it's starting to work a little bit. And he's looking good. He's looking comfortable, albeit with a you know 58% quarterback in this game. 145 passing yards still makes the offense look okay. 21 points? That is not the worst game the Jets have played this year. And when you see Zach Wilson's stats, you'd think to yourself, ah, they must have struggled on offense. Listen, they put up 21 points. They got 157 rushing yards. It was a solid attack here. So, really like what LaFleur's been doing here. Also being able to come back from 3-14 to to in this game in that second quarter and do it without relying on the quarterback. Instead of saying, listen, we're down by 11 Texans are about to take a big lead on us. we got to come back. Let's try to take some deep shots, maybe make some mistakes, get outside of Zach Wilson's comfort zone. He stayed calm, poised, relied on the run. And this team is building on previous strong performances, right? He worked well with White, with Flacco. He found a variety of successes with Josh Johnson in different ways, trying different things. And now Zach Wilson provides a totally different style of offense that is way more difficult to work behind as an offensive coordinator because he just misses those short throws, and he doesn't see the open receivers, and he makes some mental mistakes and takes some sacks here and there. So it's a lot more difficult than the way Mike White was just, you know, picking up the yardage here, picking it up there, short sticks and everything. But he's making it work with all of them. And I really like that two-point conversion play called to Josh Johnson and, you know, just getting a little creative with it, getting it in a playmaker's hands, letting him make the read. Could have passed in that situation as well with Josh Johnson, but he saw the read to get into the end zone, stayed on his feet, got up two two extra points for the Jets. And, uh, yeah, so very pleased with what the floor is doing. I think a lot of people were kind of down on him early. It really kind of feels like the reason that we were so down on the floor is because of Zach Wilson's play early in the season, because we weren't getting the stick set up the way that we would want to, because the offense wasn't operating the way that it should. Once Zach Wilson went down, we kind of started to see it. We've seen the confidence from Mike LaFleur, and now we've seen him implement some of those new wrinkles into the offense that we needed to see early, the motions, the designed wide receiver runs, things of that nature. So very pleased there. Now we have to go over the team stats, offensive, defensive players game, all that stuff before getting to next week's game. But before that, we are going to do a father time as my dad, David Burnham, back this week for father time. I said... Last week, I said, listen, he's going to miss this one, but he'll be back to talk about the Jets' victory over the Houston Texans next week. And here it is, this week's Father Time, written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. To me, almost everyone had a good game against the Houston Texans. I saw an offensive line that battled and won more than they lost, play by play. The doctor, LDT, has helped the running game, and his pass protection will hopefully improve. Bit players like Braxton Berrios, Ryan Griffin made impact plays. And what about Houston native Austin Walter? Very impressive helping out while Michael Carter recovers. The backs ran for 157. Awesome. Quincy Williams is a good tackler and a personal favorite of mine. He can blitz, stuff the run, play in space. He's also very fast in the field, and speed in this defense is essential. He kind of looks like Mr. Mosley out there, doesn't he? He is being taught very well. There were more positives in Week 12. Jets only had five penalties. Even Kenny Yeboa blocked a punt. And don't forget the final score. So this is what we need. We need team play. The Jets have a shot when everyone pulls together. Everyone needs to pitch in. This includes the kicking game. Limit penalties. Get the running game going. The point is, Zach needs help. Zach Wilson has a lot of learning to do, and he's shaky and nervous at best. He's quietly limited the risky long shots in this game and limited turnovers, which helped the cause. Defenses respect his long arm and big play potential, which helps the run game because they can't stack the box and commit to stopping the run. The jury's still out on Zach, but team play will give him the best shot to succeed and win games. The other 21 players in the field need to pull him through. If the Jets can continue to play solid football across the field, Zach will gain confidence, the game will slow down for him, and his timing will improve. I'm watching, and I'm waiting. In the meantime, three wins and counting. Go Jets. End scene. So, wow, a lot from my dad in this father time. Really like this one. Obviously, there's a lot of positives around this Jets team because they pulled out a win. They were winning performances from people. It wasn't just a good performance from a couple guys in a losing effort. This was a bunch of guys working together to pull off a win. He's absolutely right. Guys like Kenny Yeboa blocking a punt. Like, where's that come from? That's great stuff. Quincy Williams. I like that he said that. A personal favorite of him. He doesn't go out on a limb very often and say that he's got personal favorite players. So, for Quincy Williams to get that recognition from my dad my dad is actually a pretty big deal. But I think we all kind of feel it. When we got him from the Jaguars, it was like, we didn't expect much. He was a raw player. We needed somebody there. Blake Cashman is always injured. Gerard Davis was injured. It's like, all right, let's just try this guy. Felt like, is this nepotism because he's Quincy, Quinn and Williams' brother. But in reality, this guy's getting better and better every single week. And my dad, I think, is absolutely right. He's starting to play like a little CJ Mosley. Maybe he tackles a little bit harder. Maybe he runs a little bit more aggressively. C.J. Mosley definitely is a little bit more polished and refined in his play style. But you can kind of see those similarities between the two players, and he's being taught well by one of the best in C.J. Mosley. So that's a really good thing to see. Quincy Williams has been a very, very nice surprise for the Jets. He also talked about the bit players that are showing up, guys like Braxton Berrios, Austin Walter coming in, making a big game like this. When all those people come together, it does kind of dilute the performances of Zach Wilson, good or bad. Even if Zach Wilson is having a horrible game like he did in this game, 58 quarterback rating. He still can find a way to win and play in a situation where he's not scrambling. He's not down by 24. The team isn't just stacking the box, coming after him, sending all these blitzes and stuff. Right, Things are working across the field. Guys are doing their part to keep the defense, the offense, everything guessing, and to keep the Jets in the lead in this game. And my dad's absolutely right. I agree with him 100% that if the Jets can play solid football like this and keep pulling Zach through and allow him to get some wins, get some confidence... The game will slow down as he gains that confidence from winning. It slows down, the timing, all these things. Every single week, he should be getting slightly better. You definitely learn more when you win a game than you do when you lose a game. I know sometimes people say, like, a loss was the best thing for me because it really taught me what I needed to see. Listen, Zach Wilson's been beat up enough. He's lost enough already as a Jet this year. He needs to get some wins under his belt. He needs to see what that feels like. What does it take from guys? How does this work? Oh, it wasn't all on me. I threw 145 yards, and we still won because other guys pulled their weight, and I can get it to Austin Walter, and he can do big stuff, or we can get it to Josh Johnson, let him make a big play, look at how he did that. You know, this is kind of a whole thing for the whole team, and for a young coaching staff, a rookie coach, all the young players that we have, youngest team in the league, we say it every week, it's really, really important in building that winning culture. And it's one of the biggest reasons that I'm absolutely never going to be in favor of tanking, especially with this team where the Jets are right now. Forget the draft pick, we're not going for a quarterback the difference between this edge rusher and that cornerback or whatever may end up being totally incorrect because the draft obviously always shakes up in ways that we don't expect. But in reality, this team needs to start getting confidence across the board. They need to buy into this Jets mentality. They need to get, you know, a sense of, yeah, we're doing it. This is going to be done the right way. We have to buy in completely to the Robert Sala system, the Michael Floor system, Jeff Ulbrich, all of them. And the best way is by winning. When you start losing a bunch of games and you're 0-11 and and you're looking at it saying, like, listen, things aren't working. What should we be doing? I need to get the ball more, this and that. People start getting, you know, maybe I'm not being used right. Hey, this coaching staff's the problem, this and that. They start questioning other things. When you win, you don't question it. You say, listen, it's working. And that's how you keep building it. I think my dad made great points. I love what he said. Team effort, the most important thing right now as we work through Zach Wilson's growing pains that are clearly evident and probably not going away anytime soon. Going to be back next year, hopefully better than ever. But let's get these other guys around him going. We just can hopefully continue to get some wins this year. Very good for team morale. Very good father time. Thank you, Dad. And now, before we continue, we need to take a quick commercial break. All righty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. All right, we are going to talk about team stats real quick. They weren't overly impressive when you look at the Jets. I mean, when you look at what the Texans did, you can see really good defensive performances there. When you look at the Jets' offense, not so much going on. They were 2 for 13 on third downs. They made up for it 2 for 2 on fourth down. That was good to see. They only picked up 18 first downs in this game, a total of 266 yards. When you factor in the lost yardage in the sacks, that, Zach Wilson ended up losing 36 yards on four sacks in this game. It totaled 109 passing yards for the game for the team of positive yards. So that's not a good performance at all. Nothing like the 436 yards per game we were seeing the four weeks that Zach was out. But the rushing attack, the 4.6 yards per rush from a team that was averaging under four yards per rush, great to see. And all that without Michael Carter. Stopping the rushing game of the Texans, limiting them to 96 yards. I know Tyrod Taylor had a really nice big run in this game. Um, they- Gave him a little extra boost there, but overall, good job stopping the run. The Jets also got five sacks themselves, totaling 52 lost yards. Quinn Williams had like a minus 17 yard or maybe minus 19. Big old sack from Quinnen. Everybody coming alive there on that defensive line, playing well in the trenches on both sides of the ball, limiting penalties. Only five penalties for 40 yards. Limiting turnovers, just the one on that shovel pass to Ty Johnson. The Jets matched that with a John Franklin Myers pass deflection interception and time of possession for the Jets, 33 minutes to 26 minutes of the Texans. So overall, you can see good team performance there. It's not a flashy game. It doesn't look like the Jets put up you know a huge monster day anywhere except for the sacks, but it was enough to get a victory against a bad Houston Texans team in Houston. When you go over to the specific players, we're going to start on the offensive side of the ball. I think we talked about Zach Wilson enough in this game, so we're going to start talking about the running backs who actually had an awesome game albeit without Michael Carter. Tevin Coleman is going to be this week's offensive player of the game. He only had 16 carries for 67 yards, but when you look at it, it's by far the most touches of anybody on the team. It's the most positive yardage from a single player. And Tevin Coleman was the guy that, from beginning to end, was the most involved player in the offense. He wasn't the most efficient running back performance that we've seen in Jets history or anything like that. He didn't get a touchdown, didn't do anything wild. But 67 yards in those 16 carries at a 4.2 yard per carry average, rushing the ball more than all the other running backs combined and being involved from quarter one to quarter four, picking up some big yarders, up to a 19-yarder is as long. He does get the offensive player of the game. We've mentioned it a few times. The offense wasn't super you know, special or spectacular in this game. You had Ty Johnson. He got six carries for 42 yards. Austin Walter, a nice surprise here. A Houston native with his family there. It was a whole nice story. Heard him in a uh, press conference just saying, like, his mom thought he was going to get his first touchdown of his career and all these special things, and they were going to go there to support him, and it was a big game for him back in front of his family. Nine carries, 38 yards, and a touchdown. Coming up from the practice squad with a 4.2 yard per carry average. And On those rushes that he had, he had like three rushes where he just hit the gap right up the middle really, really hard. And the Jets, for the most part, with Ty Johnson, specifically with Tevin Coleman, had been running outside, right and left, outside the tackles. But the way that Austin Walter, a small guy like that, with speed, was going up the middle. It was a very nice change of pace. He got that touchdown on a nice, gritty little run. He made a really nice play, uh, tipping a ball out of bounds that could have been a fumble from Zach Wilson. And he kind of, like, fought for it as the Texans were going to pick it up. Ended up going out of bounds, saved the Jets there. They had a uh, field goal opportunity after that. But good play from Austin Walter from a guy that you weren't expecting anything from. What it does mean, as you see him there, is that LaMichael P. Ryan's time is probably just about up in New York. Kind of a failed experiment with him, but whatever. We got a Michael Carter out of it. Ty Johnson was a diamond in the rough that we found, a nice role player. And now Austin Walter putting in meaningful minutes. Who cares if LaMichael P. Ryan's not the answer? We also had a nice run from Elijah Moore for seven yards. Zach Wilson had the rushing touchdown. So that was our rushing attack in this game. Really have to give a lot of credit there to the offensive line. I know they weren't great in the pass protection as Zach Wilson was sacked four times. Not what you want to see there. Some of that was on Zach holding the ball, turning into defensive players. But uh, when you look at the running game, you got to be really impressed with the offensive line. The minimal penalties. We did have one from Elijah Vare Tucker. Don't love to see that. But the unit, the offensive line is coming together, getting better and better every week. And the most important thing for this team right now and for Zach Wilson, you know, time in the pocket isn't really helping him right now because he's not making the throws. He doesn't have the accuracy or the mechanics right now to make those throws. What's helping is short sticks and moving the ball in other ways, like a ground attack, setting everything up through the run that he can start using play actions and things like that to be more comfortable moving forward. So I would say at this point right now, no, we don't want Zach Wilson to get killed. We can't have him getting sacked over and over. We definitely can't have him getting injured. But to set up the rushing attack right now for these guys, it's kind of the most important thing to keep this offense churning. You look at the receiving game, leading receiver in terms of yardage, Braxton Barrios had that 46-yard reception on a little slant where he, I mean, he was really close to breaking that for like an 80-yard touchdown, which would have been sweet. But Elijah Moore was the most targeted receiver by far. He had eight targets in this game. No one else had more than four. Elijah Moore only had four catches on those eight targets, but it was for 46 yards, and he is was the most impactful receiving threat throughout the game. Targeted a lot. You can see that Mike LaFleur and Zach Wilson are trying to get him involved. And when he does get the ball in his hands on a few of those plays, they were very nice. He had a 22-yard long play, a couple nice ones in the middle of the field, picked up some first downs. So good continued performances from Elijah Moore. He ends again with over 50 total net yards in this game. So he's continuing his streak of getting over 50 yards every single week. Keelan Cole, two catches, 24 yards. He caught one early, didn't get much action until later in the game, got another one. Ryan Griffin had three catches for 20 yards. He had a really nice play putting his shoulder into a linebacker, picking up a first down. Had a really bad play dropping the ball in the back of the end zone. At the end of the day, this guy's going to have to be replaced. We all know it. We just need to get as much good Ryan Griffin plays as we can out of him before he's gone. Jamison Crowder, very quiet, one target, five, catch, five yards. Um, other than that, the receivers, or the running backs, not really involved in the receiving game here. We had three total yards to the running backs on five targets. And that's mostly because Zach Wilson can't hit them. Like, just a guy standing right there, eight yards to his left or right, just throws it either at his feet, in front of him, or over his head. So five targets to the running backs, one completion, two completions for three yards. Uh, Even when he does get a completion to them, it's like not right in front of the running back where you can continue their motion. I mean, I think we all remember Curtis Martin playing those flare passes so well from Testaverde and Chad Pennington that he would just get them in stride, going to the outside, flaring out. And those were great plays, catching it in stride, and then you get him to be a running back outside, matched up against a cornerback and whatnot. That's what you hope to see in this offense. That's what we were seeing from Mike White, but that is not something that we have ever seen in Zach Wilson's short time with the New York Jets. Now we got to move over to the defensive side of the ball, and the defensive performance, I think, was the highlight of the entire day overall. There was a small stretch early in the game where the Texans were driving, And they had those 14 unanswered points. So there was definitely a spot where you're like, oh, my gosh, the Jets' defense can be able to stop the Houston Texans. Terod Taylor, David Johnson, and Rex Burkhead, come on. But when push came to shove in that third quarter, fourth quarter, giving up no points, getting five big sacks in this game, a nice pass deflection interception from John Franklin Myers, you got to be happy with what you saw. The defensive line was great in this game. Starting with Quinn and Williams right in the middle. He had a big sack in this game. A couple really nice tackles. We had some really nice plays from Foley Fatakasi and Sheldon Rankins. Ronnie Blair got in there for his first sack of the season. Nice to see him getting involved. And that defensive player of the game, obviously, there's no question it's John Franklin Myers. And how badly did he need that? He got that big contract from the Jets earlier this year where it was like, okay, that's a, a lot of money for a guy who's pretty good and seems to be ascending, can play the run and the pass, but at this point in time, doesn't necessarily... Seem like a you know $12 million a year player. But the performance that he had in this game, pass deflection, interception, ran back for 38 yards, two sacks in this game. This was the best game of his career that I've ever seen. I know he had a couple of good games in the playoffs for the Rams, but for crying out loud, John Franklin Myers was on fire in this game, playing in front of his family, rocking and rolling, and showing why we gave him that big contract. So that kind of quiets the whole conversation of was he worth it? Was he overpaid? At this point in time right now, from what we got from him in this game, yeah, worth it. That's a great, that's a great game breaking type of performance. That's what you get from those players like that. Whew. Great game from John Franklin Myers. Talk about some of the linebackers in this game. You have to be stoked with Quincy Williams. My dad said it becoming a fan favorite of his. Seven tackles in this game, had a nice sack, shooting up the middle like a rocket, quarterback hits, tackles for a loss, hitting people hard, putting a shoulder into guys, and not making a ton of mistakes. Early on, he made some nice plays, some big hits, and had some mistakes. I think that as the weeks have gone on, he's limited the mistakes and increased the number of great plays, and you got to be really happy with him. I mean, he's basically relegated Gerard Davis to a bench position that he was not supposed to be in. When the Jets gave Gerard Davis about a one-year, $7 million contract, you were expecting that that was going to be the guy filling in that, you know, Neville Hewitt or Jordan Jenkins role where he needed to get another linebacker, you never considered that a Quincy Williams would come in here and do what he's doing. Doing it right next to C.J. Mosley, who also had a really nice game. Eight tackles. Still isn't tackling the best that he has all year, but made a couple really nice coverage plays. There was one amazing tipped pass in front of the receiver. They got a pass deflection on. Stopped that one. C.J. Mosley still is the leader of the defense, and my dad's right. You can tell that he's teaching Quincy Williams how to play that linebacker position in this defense. Moving over to the defensive backfield, Isaiah Dunn was the guy that got the start last week in place of Brandon Echols. This week they played a lot more Javelin Guidry, and Guidry had a really nice game. He actually was one of the best Jets players on defense, made some really nice pass deflections. Bryce Hall's the guy that you'd expect it from, the opposite corner who's by far had the best year of any defensive back on the team, but this was actually his worst game of the season. He gave up the big touchdown pass to Brandon Cooks where he was in coverage, actually got a offensive or defensive pass interference on the play as well, and gave up the catch. So not a great play there. Probably the worst game in coverage of Bryce Hall's season, but he did make some really nice defensive plays in the tackling game on some rushing attacks and some screen passes, and he made the nice pass deflection to win the game for the Jets in the last play of the game. So he did end up making up for it a little bit. Not the best performance we've seen from him. I don't expect to continue like that. Bryce Hall's a great player. We just uh, need to figure out kind of what's going on on the other side because we had Isaiah Dunn in there. We tried Guidry in there this week, but Gidry's a very small guy. He got torched by Stephon Diggs when he played against the Bills. So you don't feel like he can be an every down type of guy week in, week out. You know, Maybe against this Houston Texans team, he matched up pretty well. But moving forward, probably not so much. You don't necessarily want to see Isaiah Dunn. You're seeing some extra play from Jason Pinnock as the year's gone on. He's not playing incredible. He's made a couple mistakes here and there. He slipped out a ball here to Brevin Jordan in this game. Ended up being a touchdown. If he hadn't slipped there, probably could have made the defensive play, would have limited the score. But just to get Pinnock some game action, get him on the field, and you know as much good play as we can get out of him to help build his confidence and just teach him the right way around these guys is going to be important. When you look at the safeties in this game, we're continuing to roll with converted cornerback, I guess, Elijah Riley. Uh, next to Ashton Davis, and both of these guys really quiet in this game. And when you're talking about Ashton Davis and Elijah Riley, you're kind of hoping it's a quiet game. Because it feels like, to me, the most that we talk about the safeties on this team when it's not Marcus May is guys slipping in coverage, guys missing assignments, people getting open deep. And in this game, it didn't really happen. The big plays and the big catches that the Texans made were in decent coverage from the defensive players, just nicely caught balls. Elijah Riley had some nice tackles in this game. Ashton Davis had a couple nice tackles in this game. And when it comes down to it, when you're not seeing a lot of mistakes from them, that's improvement, especially for Ashton Davis, who I think after his first year wasn't looking so hot, starting this year, not looking so good. We said it last week on this podcast that Ashton Davis actually had struck a couple good weeks together, or solid performances. I wouldn't say good weeks. You know, he had the interception, but he's limiting those mistakes that were always the big thing plaguing his game. Um, but... In this game, another quiet week, he's kind of strung together three to four okay performances, which is the best he's ever done in his career with the Jets, in my opinion, and is definitely helping him try to, you know, potentially fill a void at that safety position in years to come. I still would be looking at a different safety combination for one and two, but could he be competing in training camp? Could he potentially be the third guy on the team, as we always play three safeties, you know, you don't play three on the field all the time, but a third safety is a guy that touches the field and plays somewhat meaningful snaps. Ashton Davis, good developmental project there. So that's what we saw from him. That's what we saw from the defense. Five total sacks in this game. Only give up 206 yards to this Texans team. The Jets come out with a big win and leave the Texans scoreless in the second half. Way to go, Jets. We now have to talk about the special teams, but before we do that, we have to take a pit stop at the cooler for a little What's On Tap. That is right, folks. This is What's On Tap. And today, I have something special. Something called the OGs present Who Let the Boomers Out? A pale ale made by a collaboration between Fat Orange Cat, Great Brewery, and Willy Brew, Willimantic Brewing Company, out in Willimantic. And that is where fiance Shannon is from and her family is from. And this was actually given to me by future father-in-law, Kevin King, when I went over for Thanksgiving. They had these nice beers. And this is a 5% pale ale. I don't know if you remember last week I drank that uh, elaborate metaphor, which was a 5% pale ale that I tried to pick up because it would be kind of lower percentage alcohol, and I was hoping to enjoy it, but I didn't really like it. This is kind of exactly what I was looking for. And it's no surprise because Fat Orange Cat is a great brewery and... Future father-in-law has great taste in beers. But I'm not familiar with uh, the Willamantic Brewing Company beer selection specifically. I've been there for dinner a few times. It's a fun place. But this is a great beer. Really, really enjoyable for a pale ale. It has a lot of flavor for a 5% beer. and That's kind of what you're looking for. It's got a funny little cartoon on it. It's got a uh, an old man sitting on a cooler that's leaking a liquid that says, Old Guys. So he's holding a fat orange cat. And he's got a couple of frogs on him, which is the, I believe that's the Willimantic Brewing Company logo, frog. So who let the boomers out by Fat Orange Cat, Willimantic Brewing Company. Delicious. This is one of the best beers I've had on this podcast in a while. And what better time to do it than after a New York Jets victory against the Houston Texans. So yeah, that is this week's What's on Tap. Now before we go to special teams, we do have to take a quick commercial break. All righty, and welcome back. We are going to talk special teams here before talking about draft nuggets, AFC East, and Jets Eagles preview. So talking special teams, a few orders of business here. Talk about the bad first. Braden Mann is making some nice punts that are some touch punts that we weren't used to seeing from him last year. I've talked about it each week on this podcast since he's come back. He had another really, really nice opportunity in this game that Justin Hardy couldn't keep out of the end zone. Justin Hardy's a special teams ace. He absolutely should have kept that ball out of the end zone. A nice roller from Braden Mann gave him ample time to get down there. But alas, it didn't work. The problem is Braden Mann's long-distance punting is looking really bad. It's not as good as Thomas Morstead's had been. The touch is there on those touch punts, but the distance, that big cannon leg that Braden Mann's supposed to have, not showing up. He had a couple shanks in this game, gave the Texans some really, really good field position that they weren't able to capitalize on thanks to that Jets' defensive performance. But Braden Mann's going to have to be better, especially in that distance punting game, because that's what he's supposed to be able to do. When you talk about the kicker in this game, Matt Amendola, I mean, aye, aye, ay, This is our doghouse player of the week. I wanted to give it to him last week, but I was like, listen, Wesco is in a bad place with this team right now. Amendola's getting it this week because he is now in a bad place with this team right now. Amendola goes two for three in this game, so when you see it, you're like, well, he made two. But you can't consistently go 66% every single week. He's now 68% on the year. And from a kicker, you kind of expect 80% from a solid kicker. That's what you'd like to see, 95%, 93% extra points and then 80% would be what you'd want to see on field goals. thing about Amendola is everybody tried to sell him to me at first. I was giving him a really hard time in preseason, and stuff like, this guy's no good. Why do we have a scrub like this? And everyone's like, listen, he's got a rocket leg. When it comes down to it, he can't make those rocket leg kicks. He's not been able to show that he can make any kick from 55 yards, 56 yards. We gave him another chance in this game to make a kick. He missed it. It was a shorter one. A 51-yarder, Roberts, at the end of the game says, listen, we could go up by a total of seven points here, but I don't feel comfortable kicking it. They get down to like a 32-yard kick, which should be an easy opportunity to go up seven. You know, give yourself that cushion to potentially win this game. With that defense that you've been seeing all game, Decide to go for it on fourth and one because they don't trust Matt Amendola. Then later in that drive, of course, they're very, very close. They get down to a, a fourth and less manageable. They go with the kick from Amendola, and he makes it. But the fact that your team is kind of actively working around kicking a field goal because you don't trust your kicker enough, that he's not getting the long-distance 51-yard attempts because we don't think he can make a 51-yarder. Well, that's what he's here for because he's got a rocket leg. So now we don't think he can do the job that he's here to do, which means he's probably on his way out in reality. The Jets signed another kicker to their practice squad, who I think his name is like Kessman or something. I don't know him very well, but he probably isn't much of a threat either because in reality it's not like we can replace Amendola with another better guy. You're supposed to get these guys before the season begins, get an established NFL kicker, get them in your room. And then that's all she wrote. Hope, you know, for the best, but we keep going with these young guys who have no experience. We've never seen them kick in big spots. We keep trying them out. These experimental projects and we miss so many kicks and leave so many points on the board. Now we wouldn't just be winning games if we had a better kicker, but they'd look a lot better. We'd be able to put teams in much more difficult situations, change some game scripts up as we score points. It's not happening, and I'm not pleased with Matt Amendola or his performances. He is the doghouse player of the week. He is exactly what I thought he'd be, a bad, not ready for the NFL kicker. Moving on to the good in the special teams. Could have given player of the game to Braxton Berrios, who had a nice kick return and a nice punt return. But instead, we're going to give it to Kenny Yaboa for a blocked punt that it didn't block square, but he got his hand on it and had Braxton Berrios fielded it quicker, it would have ended up being like a 20-yard punt. The Jets would have been about 20 yards from a field goal a field goal try from Matt Amendola, whatever that would do. But they'd be about 20 yards away from that with, like, 18 seconds to go in the half and a timeout in their pocket. Definitely could have been done, but uh, it really came down to that. Can Yeboah play? I mean, you don't see a lot of that from the Jets. We've had one blocked punt so far this year, one from Delshawn Phillips that actually earned Phillips, the special teams player of the game, and now one from Yaboa. You know, Kenny Yeboah is a guy that I think we're all kind of rooting for. He played at Ole Miss with Elijah Moore last year, was an undrafted free agent, but one of the guys that was kind of exciting in that undrafted class of the Jets that was like, listen, we need a tight end. He's kind of athletic. He's got some game to him. He was one of the higher-rated prospects that wasn't drafted. We got him. And then in preseason, he made that really big Hail Mary catch, and it was like, whoa, Kenny a big moment here. He's been active on the Jets a few weeks now. But he hasn't really played any offensive snaps. We've been giving it to guys like Trevon Wesco, Ryan Griffin, Nick Bauden. But now with Trevon Wesco going down, there's definitely more of an opportunity for Yaboa and making a nice play like that. You know, maybe he doesn't earn he doesn't earn a start. No way by blocking a punt like that. But he does deserve an opportunity to be on the field as long as he's not a huge liability. If the team deems him not a massive liability in the game to have him on the field, then get him out there for some offense. Let's see what Yaboa can do. I love the block punt, love to see him getting involved. We need these young guys to keep turning it on. This is an evaluation year. We can't sacrifice the ability to win a game. We can't sacrifice anybody's health or anything like that for the team. But if we can get these guys out there in a good situation, that'd be awesome to see. So, happy to see Kenny Yeboah showing up. And now, the next order of business to check in on the AFC East real quick. The AFC East is becoming less and less interesting as the Patriots are getting better and better, so I like to talk about it less and less. But this week... Monday Night Football, we got a big matchup between Bills and Patriots. The first of two matchups to establish dominance within the AFC East. This is going to be played in Buffalo, and I got to root for Buffalo big time in this one. The Patriots have had their time in the sun. We got to knock them down a peg or two. We got a great defense in Buffalo that absolutely stifled the New York Jets. Can they absolutely stifle Mac Jones and make him look bad in a big spot on Monday Night Football? That would be great. Potentially crush his confidence, get the media after him. Whoa, whoa, what are we seeing here? Is this actually time for them? Let's have a whole big thing. Everybody shitting on Mac Jones and the New England Patriots would be great. Let's go, Buffalo. Talk about the Dolphins. They play the Giants at home, and, you know, who cares about the Dolphins right now? They're technically kind of in the hunt. Uh, They're a couple games, one and a half above the Jets right now. But they are not going to be making the playoffs, and that game against the Giants is really boring. Root for the Giants for sure. Another New York team beating up on the Dolphins. You'd love to see it. Now talking about the draft, some other teams that actually are more interesting right now than the AFC East teams would be Seattle and Carolina. Seattle has been having trouble this year. Russell Wilson went down, they played Geno Smith, they lost some games there. They just have their first round draft pick this year, so you're getting better draft stock, getting excited about what you're seeing. Then Russell Wilson comes back, and he's been extremely uncomfortable. He looks like he's struggling, he's not reading the field well. He looks not like Russell Wilson. This is not let Russ cook year anymore. This is now like struggling to win games and struggling to move the offense, not getting Tyler Lockett involved, not getting DK Metcalf involved. And last night, they lost to the Washington football team, putting them to 3-8 and eight on the season, meaning that right now, if the season ended today, the Seattle Seahawks would actually have a higher draft pick than the New York Jets. Seahawks pick would be number four. The Jets pick would be number five. This season with the Jets, we've played four quarterbacks, chaos, rookie quarterback, nothing's going right and the Seahawks are actually worse than we are. It's awesome to see. We traded Jamal Adams away. He thought he was going to some team. I think we all thought when we traded him for two first-round picks, we thought that, listen, we're going to be getting picks in the 20s, maybe late 20s, 26, 27, 28 overalls. They're going to be fighting for the playoffs. But, hey, it's still two first-round picks, and he's just a box safety who's looking for a contract, so we still win. But now when you look at it and you're like, All right, the pick last year was a little bit better than we thought it was going to be at that, what was it, like 22 range or 23 range going into the thing before we traded up. And now we're talking about number four overall. It's not going to finish that way. The Seahawks have, I think they got six games remaining. Three of the games are difficult. Three of the games are very easy. So are they going to beat the easy teams and lose to the good teams? Not entirely sure. At this point, I would predict that three and eight Seahawks team to finish six and eleven. So that's going to be a very, very good draft pick, better than we'd expect. And then you look at the Panthers. we have their second-round pick and their fourth-round pick. They just lost to the Dolphins. Christian McCaffrey went on IR for the season. Cam Newton looks to be nothing like he looked to be two weeks ago when he just came out and had his big coming-back party in Carolina. Now they're not doing so well. And if you look at their schedule, very, very difficult upcoming. A lot of games done that NFC South in their own division, playing against the Bucs, playing against the Saints. They don't have an easy schedule for the rest of the year. I would project them to win probably maybe one more game and finish 6-11 and 11 themselves. So more good draft positioning for the Jets. And for the Jets at this point, it's 3-8. With the games they have upcoming, I would say they finish somewhere around 5-12. and 12. So 5-12 and 12 for the Jets, 6-11 and 11 for the Seahawks, 6-11 and 11 for the Panthers. Those are my predictions today. And if that's the case, that's really, really good draft value for the New York Jets. And winning five games this year for the Jets, that's kind of what I predicted. I said seven wins before the Carl lost an injury. After the lost an injury, I said that's about as big an injury as you could have on this team. That's The defense is predicated on a pass rush and getting after the quarterback, and if they can't do it, it's going to be a big, big struggle for them. I said when he went down, we probably are going to lose two more games than we would have won otherwise, a five-win team for the Jets. So kind of on pace for what we expected. There is some growth going on. We just got to see more from Zach Wilson. So now the last order of business is talking about next week's game against... Philadelphia Eagles. The Jets right now playing at home. Mind you, this is an at-home game for the Jets. They are currently seven-point underdogs to the 5-7 and seven Philadelphia Eagles. Now, the Eagles have played some decent teams well. They've won five games, obviously better than the Jets. But considering some of the injuries that they have right now and some of their inability to get stuff going on offense, some of the struggles from Jalen Hurts and stuff, I mean, they're up and down. The Jets getting. in. Seven points, you know, potentially ten points if they were playing away, I think that's a lot of disrespect for the Jets. I definitely think that the Jets can be competitive in this game. In fact, I think the Jets are going to win this game. I'll talk about my prediction later. But when you look at the Philadelphia Eagles offense, starts their quarterback, Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts leads their rushing attack, has like 700 rushing yards, and because of it, the Eagles actually have the number one rushing attack in the NFL. 158 rushing yards per game, led by... Jalen Hurts, who leads the team in rushing. Followed by, they got, you know, Miles Sanders, Jordan Howard, Boston Scott. Rookie from Memphis, Kenneth Gainwell. They got a pretty nice little running attack, and they got a good offensive line. Rookie Landon Dickerson. They got the veteran, Travis Kelsey's brother, Jason Kelsey. They got Lane Johnson. And Jordan is actually not that bad on left tackle either. So they've actually got a pretty good offensive line. They are able to run the ball. That's the big thing for the Jets. Stop the run in this game. Put it on Jalen Hurts. But in reality, Jalen Hurts right now has a sore ankle and is questionable for this game. So if it's not Jalen Hurts, it's Gardner Minshew. I expect that a team that's 5-7 and seven, like the Eagles and still in the playoff hunt trying to fight for a playoff spot, I imagine Jalen Hurts will find a way to play this game. But if he's hobbled and he's not able to run quite as effectively, that would be very, very good for the Jets, who aren't necessarily the fastest defense in the league. C.J. Mosley and Quincy Williams have some sneaky speed for how big they are, but the defensive linemen and those linebackers are not the fastest group. Jalen Hurts could potentially pose a problem if he's running full speed, full, you know, 100% healthy. I think in this game, uh, you know, that's going to be a big factor in it. Then being able to stop Miles Sanders, Jordan Howard, whoever's toting the rock for them in this game, if we can limit it to that, then you're looking at their receivers. It's Devontae Smith, who's having a good year as a rookie. And then they got Quez Watkins, who's a number two guy, and a good tight end in Dallas Goddard. Other than that, they're not really getting anything from any Jalen Rager, Any Greg Ward, J.J. Arcega-Whiteside. These players are absolute letdowns for them at this point in time. It's Devonta Smith, Dallas Goddard, and sometimes Quez Watkins. So if they can limit the rushing attack, push it onto those guys, it's really kind of a three-headed monster that the Jets should be able to do somewhat well against. They really do need to get a good game, good strong push in the trenches against a good Eagles offensive line. When you look at the defensive side of the ball, the Eagles, again, they have a pretty good defense. They've got some really good players out there. You know, some big names that you would know, like a Josh Sweat, Flesher Cox, Derek Barnett. Then they got a really, really nice cornerback in Darius Slay that seems to get big interceptions and big scores and touchdowns and stuff more often than most guys in the league. But they don't have a great secondary otherwise. Anthony Harris, Kevon Wallace, Avante Maddox, Steven Nelson's back there as a backup. Rodney McLeod is out there. It's not a great group. It's a defensive backfield. You just have to make sure that you don't get pressured too much by Barnett, Fletcher Cox. they got a nice interior guy, Javon Hargrave, who's actually doing really well rushing the passer this year. Josh Sweat, you know, a couple of, of role-player pass rushers like Ryan Kerrigan on the team. Got to make sure that you stop those guys and don't get Zach Wilson under too much pressure. If he can stand cleanly in the pocket, the Jets can establish a nice running game, there potentially will be some open receivers against this secondary of the Eagles. You want to make sure you're not throwing on Darius Slay too often because Zach Wilson's inaccurate and Darius Slay catches basically every ball that's thrown his way that he can catch. So That's kind of a dangerous matchup. If They decide to put Darius Slay on, say, a healthy Corey Davis. You're going to want to look a little bit more in the direction of the tight ends, the running backs, and the other wide receivers. If Corey Davis doesn't play and they put Darius Slay against either a Keelan Cole, a Denzel Mims, or an Elijah Moore, again, you may want to look elsewhere. It could be a big game for Jameson Crowder who's probably going to get a decent opportunity within the slot. Maybe Elijah Moore as well in that spot. So keep Zach Wilson upright. Establish the run game big time. we got to stop the Eagles' run game. we got to establish our own run game. we got to get Tevin Coleman. we got to get Ty Johnson. And even Austin Walter going in this game. Because Zach Wilson's not going to be able to win it by himself. This is going to be a very, very interesting matchup. I think for a lot of reasons, um, obviously, interesting offense of the Eagles being the number one rushing attack. Something that hasn't really destroyed the Jets so far this year. You know, we play against a team like the Tennessee Titans when they had Derrick Henry. We stop him and that team pretty well. We play against Joe Mixon and the Bengals. We do pretty well against that group there. Obviously, the Patriots ran all over us. But for the most part, the rushing attack isn't what scares me the most. It's a team that can dissect a soft zone that the Jets run. And Jalen Hurts is not that quarterback. And if he doesn't play, and it's Gardner Minshew in there, You know, it may change things up a little bit. But I think when you look at the matchup, you have to be somewhat excited about what you see. This is the type of team that the Jets can beat, right? We always talk talk about the defense struggles against the Matt Ryans, the, you know, very efficient offenses of the Mac Jones, the good established quarterback that know what they're doing and how to beat the zone. Jalen Hurts is not that guy. So if he can be out there, it might help us, especially if he's hobbled and can't run. If he's having trouble running and he's just throwing back there, that's going to be a good situation for the New York Jets, potentially. I look for the Jets to win this game, honestly. 23-16 is my prediction. Jets win 23-16 at home for their third home win of the year to go to 4-7 and seven on the season. And it's not a great record, but it would be twice as many wins as the team had last year. It would be definite improvement. It would be a really, really nice thing to see. And it happens to be on my birthday, where I am turning 30 years old. Believe it or not, I'm freaking turning 30 years old, and the Jets are playing the Eagles. So one way or another, it's going to be either a great birthday or a really disappointing birthday. I'd like to start 30 off on the right note, and I don't think the Jets are going to let me down. I trust in this team. I don't know why. I think I trust in I think I trust in Robert Sala really because I don't trust Zach Wilson. I don't trust the zone defense, but I trust Robert Sala to get this team ready to come out there and win this game. I think we're starting to get some momentum. I think the team is starting to understand itself and its identity a little bit more. I think people are starting to get more comfortable. A lot of these young guys that were, you know, weeks one through six, absolutely these guys are rookies. But at this point in time where we're at in the season, these guys are not really rookies anymore. And I'm starting to like what I see from these young guys more and more every week. So I think New York Jets get it done. Let's go. That's all I got for this one. I hope I'm back next week on Tuesday talking about the New York Jets win against the Eagles. If not, we'll talk about what went wrong and how the Jets can fix it the following week. We do have a couple more easy games coming up, and this is our opportunity to grow, show the growth, finish the year out strong. Thanks for joining me on this podcast. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life.